0: If you would grab your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to get ready to continue in our series. Last week, um, we did skip this text so that we could purposefully come back to it because it was family-integrated worship. And so just throwing it out there, viewer discretion advised. We, we helped, you out, you helped you guys out last week, uh, but there, we're going to be discussing marriage and divorce and all of the facets in between. And so um, we're adults. There are adult things in Scripture, right? <laughs> um, and so we, there's going to be some difficulties in some of these texts as we go through marriage and divorce is not an easy topic always to discuss Uh, marriage is a happier topic I enjoy talking about marriage divorce is not something that we find comfort in in discussing and having to to share but it is a part of life uh, for some unfortunately and uh, it's found in our Bibles thankfully uh, otherwise, well, you know, it's a, it's great that divorce is mentioned in Scripture. That we can have this thing that many of us have had to wrestle with in some way or the other. Whether you've been in it, involved in it, or affected by it, um, it has affected each of us to some degree. So my goal for this morning is, is to be biblical and not emotional. So kind of hang on to that right there, because it is emotional. I know that there are people in this room who have been divorced, who have walked through that, and how it was. Uh, probably one of the most, if not the most, difficult moment or season in your life that you've had to go through. Marriage is challenging. It's not an easy thing. It takes effort and work and uh, prayer, hopefully. Hopefully your marriage requires some prayer. Um, I think it took me, Kelsey and myself, maybe three years, two years, something like that, before we realized, hey, uh, prayer has to be a vital component of our marriage, otherwise this isn't going to work, (laughs) right? And so we had to start learning that. Um, And so today, wherever you're at in your marriage, or even if you aren't married, this sermon is hopefully going to be good for you, good for your soul, because we want to break down exactly what marriage should look like between a man and a woman, and then ultimately, Jesus commits himself to us his bride in the in representing a marriage that he is going to come back for his bride And so we need to look at it from that point is you know that perspective men. We are the bride of Christ. What do we do with that? You know, what do we do with that information? Um, And so we're going to jump into the text here mark chapter 10 And we're going to begin in verse 1 if I could just if you would just for a moment stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse one, and it says this, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, he was with, and it was his custom that he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to get to write a certificate of divorce and to send it her way. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate and in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray to you this morning that you would help us to understand better the things uh, concerning marriage in your word that we find this morning. Lord, help us uh, as we navigate this topic that can be difficult and sensitive, Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak precisely what you would have for your people. We thank you for this time. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In America, in the beginning of the 19th century, the divorce rate was a little less than 10%. Um, by the 1940s, it had jumped from 10% to 25%. And then today, of course, as you probably all well know, it's over 50%, the divorce rate, uh, here in this country, in, our, in this Western world. And it's, it's gotten to the point that even so much so, my generation has really come to uh, an understanding that life without marriage uh, is should not only just be okay, but it should be promoted as something maybe even better than marriage itself. That the, the freedom that you would get in not having a monogamous relationship or not being in marriage is being projected by our society. That young men and women are, are committing uh, to them to others, but not in the form of marriage. There's just this sort of Organic lifestyle that many have subscribed to. And Christians, as Christians, we often take, and we have historically, taken our cues from the, from the pagan world rather than the Scripture when it comes to social issues, for instance, like marriage. This is exactly what the Pharisees are taking, pagan cues in the world that they're currently in in this moment in Scripture, and they're coming to Jesus, and this was a hot topic of Well, is divorce really, is it something that we should really be discussing? Who should be getting divorced? Who's qualified for divorce? This was a big topic. And so Jesus is making his way to Judea, and here comes the Pharisees again, right? We've just covered in our text over and over the Pharisees approaching Jesus and trying to challenge him and trying to get him caught in some sort of trap where they can persecute him and have something against him. It's very frustrating talking to Jesus for the Pharisees because every time they try to pin him down, he ends up teaching them a lesson and he is glorified, (laughs) right? Could you imagine every time you go to a man to speak to him and to call him out and his unrighteousness, he proves himself all the more righteous and you all the more lowly? Frustrating to say the least, right? That every single time they approach Jesus, they get more of the radiance of God. I think we should stop there and draw comfort from that, that every single time we pursue the Lord, he gives every single time, even when we seek him in our frustration and in our, in our bitterness or in our suffering, the Pharisees are coming to him from even the wrong angle of why they should be approaching the son of God. And yet he reveals more of himself to them. That is God's goodness. That is his graciousness. And so I'm going to be giving, uh, yes, we're going to be looking at the scripture throughout, but I'm also just going to be giving some practical advice for marriage. If, um, if you know me personally, you know that marriage is something that I am uh, I'm truly passionate about. I really want to see people have a wonderful and thriving marriage. I have seen uh, thankfully the, the example of my own parents i 've seen growing up firsthand watching two people worship on a Sunday morning and then watching two people on a Tuesday worship and on a Thursday worship so I got to see consistency and that 's a beautiful thing that that a good marriage requires consistency in front of your children in front of those around you that your when I go through marriage counseling with uh, With young people, typically, I've done a lot of, I always mistakenly say funerals, Uh, not the same, (laughs) but uh, I've done some marriages, they could be close in similarity, there's some death to self that takes place, but um, as I was there, as I go through the counseling process with uh, young couples that are about to get married, I'll always say to them, look, I want to try to convince you that maybe this isn't a good thing for you right you convince me how this is a good thing for you and then through the through looking at the scripture i want them to look and take how serious marriage is and how serious god looks at it and that it is something that isn't to be played with and it isn't something it's not just a document that is given by the the government by the state it's more than just saying i do or having You know, it all planned out in a beautiful day. There's more to it. And so we see the examples maybe of other people's lives. But my point is, is that as I sit and I talk to a couple, I say to them, your marriage isn't going to be perfect. In fact, I'll say to them, your marriage, there's no person, I'll use Brittany and Jordan as an example, there's no marriage on planet Earth that exists like Brittany and Jordan's marriage because they're unique individuals. And and so... I, we can kind of do a brush stroke as far as what marriage should look like, but for you and your spouse, that marriage is perfectly, and I would say divinely unique. But it still should be a marriage that all other marriages should look to and say, that's what I want my marriage to be. Mine and Kelsey's prayer is that we would, be, uh, that we would have a, a marriage that when other, people, when other couples come into our house, that they would see our marriage and say, I want what they have. Like they're genuinely happy with each other, even not even when it's not a Sunday morning, right? You ever argued hardcore with your spouse on the way to church and then just worship next to them (laughs) 15 minutes later (laughs) and your hands are raised and maybe you're just like, you hypocrite, (laughs) like, you know, we've maybe, I I say we've all been there. We've all been there, right? I mean, you know, Sunday mornings can be a hectic time, right? Again, I don't want to get too vulnerable, but like we've been there, right? (laughs) It can be testing. It can be difficult. Marriage requires two imperfect people coming together, trying to make something good. And so the the Pharisees had questions, but their questions came from an impure heart trying to deceive and trick Jesus. They really didn't want his opinion, but they wanted to test him on the legality of marriage. They were trying to do uh, one of two things. First off, uh, they were right in the place that Herod had existed. The Herod who beheaded or allowed the beheading of John the Baptist to take place. Now, if you remember, the reason why John the Baptist got that people were angry at him is because he was calling Herod out on his marriage. He was saying, you're with this lady and you shouldn't be with this lady. This isn't, this isn't, a part, this isn't how God had constructed things. Literally, John the Baptist loses his head over calling someone out and their infidelity in their marriage. Think on that. That's how serious of of a cultural crime it was in this day was to say, that isn't a legitimate marriage. Do we see that in our, our day today? Yes, of course we do. Because if we look at two men who are married and say, that isn't a legitimate marriage, we get persecuted by the world and we're becoming increasingly more persecuted by the church by saying it. That isn't a legitimate marriage. Two women cannot legitimately be married. That isn't a marriage. Well, the state recognizes it. Okay, well, the state recognizes a lot of things. The church doesn't. Again, this is me being biblical and not and us not just jumping to emotions. Because it is the culture right now, and the influence of the culture that if you feel uncomfortable at any moment during the, these moments of truth, it is the culture who is you're getting your social cues from, right? Even as I'm preparing this sermon, I'm writing this and I'm thinking, that's not going to sit well with some people. And then I think, well, why? Does it not sit well with me? Why? Why doesn't it sit well with me? Oh, is it because I have been culturally conditioned as well? Okay, why? Like I, I have to wrestle with these things. This, is, this wasn't an easy sermon to write, if I, if I do say so myself, that this has been a, a situation that Jesus finds himself in where they are trying to question him over this issue of divorce. And so they think that they're going to get Jesus in this same sort of trap that some felt that they had gotten John the Baptist in. Well, if we can pin him down to a statement, we'll use that statement against him. The other possibility is that at this time, the Jewish history was in a debate debate among the rabbis as far as what marriage and divorce looked like. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, I think, We'll have that up there for you. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says, And when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends it, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Verse 2, And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house... Or if the latter man dies, he took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination to the Lord. So what what they're trying to determine is what the Levitical law says here as that if a man finds an indecency with her. So if you... Husbands, if you find an indecency with your wife, you are able to hand her a certificate of divorce and say, get out of my house. What the Pharisees are trying to determine is, what is that indecency? What constitutes an unclean or an an indecency to have taken place? So we know the clear-cut line here is idolatry, or adultery, adultery, right? That, that a woman would go and, and uh, have relations with another man outside of her marriage. Well, the repercussion for this in the Levitical law is stoning, right? I mean, this is when Jesus finds uh, the woman accused of adultery, they're in the process of doing what, right? Stoning her because of her sin. And so there's a clear-cut example in the Levitical law as to what the consequence may be. But the conservatives during this time, and by the way, conservative and liberal is not a, an American political statement. Th- th- there have always been conservatives and liberals. In the, di- in the, in the text here in the scripture, there's going to be Jewish rabbis who land on the more conservative view that say this, that this school argue that the only way that one could justify a divorce is that there would be some type of shameful act of infidelity. That's the, the, the most conservative view. The liberal view is that this school argued a much broader view of the indecency. Anything that a woman does to embarrass or displease her uh, her husband would fall under this umbrella of divorce. For instance, one commentary says, if a wife breaks a dish of her husband's and her husband liked that dish, then that would be grounds for divorce. <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously, this would be a more liberal view. Like, you did what? You changed my channel? Oh, <laughs> Okay. See ya. Like anything that would dissatisfy the husband would be what they would consider a ruling for divorce. And so the liberal thought, the liberal ideology of the time was impacting the church. Again, equally as much today, impacting the church. We have uh, the ways that we view marriage or the ways that we view others or the way that we view what this binding covenantal language of marriage, how it should be, who it should be given to should not be a debate in the church. Uh, Let me just say that again in case I was kind of all over the place. The idea, the gift, the privilege of marriage that God has given the church should not be debated among the church. We shouldn't have to figure this out. We shouldn't have to figure out who is a guy and who is a girl. We shouldn't have to figure out who gets married and who isn't allowed to get married. We shouldn't have to figure out, should Christ be the center of my marriage or should Christ not be the center of my marriage? Should prayer be something that we should implement into our marriage or should it not be? These aren't things that the the Christian church should debate. We have clear evidence So when you have people like Joel Osteen or Carl Lentz or Lauren Daigle who want to get onto a show and be interviewed by someone as to what defines biblical marriage, when we have these high-profile, almost celebrity, Christian celebrities go on and denounce the good and clear definition of marriage, then they are either biblically illiterate or they don't want to ruffle the feathers of the political pressure that their fans may not subscribe to. And so this is what they're trying to catch Jesus in. Are you either going are you going to pick something theological here to say or are you going to pick something political here to say? Because if you say a marriage is between a man and a woman, well that's a theological statement. But that's going to ruffle the feathers of the political minded. Is this is this making sense? This being okay. And so we have this discrepancy, this issue that Jesus does not steer away from. He doesn't mind. He doesn't feel uncomfortable. And so they have tried to place him in sort of, some sort of theolo- theological or, or political trap, uh, but he isn't going to have an issue with it. So how does he respond? Well, Jesus takes them back to the word. So they approach him, and he takes them back to the word. Again, reminding you that when we confront Jesus, Jesus confronts us, right? Like, we haven't just found him. When Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden, they, they legitimately thought that they were hiding from God, remember? And they, they thought they were hiding from him in every way. And then God approaches Adam and says, why are you hiding? And they're like, well, we were naked. And he's like, who told you you were naked? I mean, he, he calls them out, meaning that he literally calls them out of hiding. And through that exposing, he reveals more of himself. Because right when judgment was supposed to meet Adam and Eve, grace meets them all the more quicker. When we press in to who God is, even in difficult topics, which I'll just be honest with you, I don't find this topic all that difficult. Like I don't find it difficult to find the answers to. I just find it difficult to preach to a people that have been conditioned a different way. Does that make sense? Like, this, isn't, this, isn't, this didn't take a lot of Greek to understand exactly what Jesus is saying here. I'm just trying to find the right English, <laughs> because I know that we have, we have, as a culture, been told many, many lies as to what love looks like, that love is uh, not, not just condemning, but also condoning. No, that's not love. It isn't love for me to say to you this morning that if your wife does something to offend you, leave her. I had, a, I had a guy, I kid you not, I had a guy come to me once and say that he really was burdened because he had met a woman that he knew God had for her. And I'm like, buddy, you are married. This isn't, this is not, this isn't an option. You don't get that. Like, if that's who you think God has for you, you're just wrong. <laughs> And we have, so we have to be okay with just seeing the truth and saying that is true. Even if it rubs me in, even if it rubs me the wrong way, that's true. And I'm going to take it. So Jesus responds with the scripture, asking them Mark, uh, Mark 10, verse five, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Again, we would think that, we would conclude from this text that the Christian church would agree on marriage and how divorce should be handled, but it isn't that simple. So we see that, Jesus reminds the Pharisees that this was God who instituted marriage originally, that there were no provisions for divorce. So when Adam and Eve were married, God did not give them a provision for divorce. Hey guys, if this doesn't work out, here's plan B. There are no provisions. Marriage was never intended to end for you. Well, as long as we stay in love or as long as we get along or as long as we're faithful or as long as we uh, both, you know, are are happy and all of these things, all of the reasons that people come up with with for ending things with their spouse. Scripture, for many of those reasons, is going to say that's not a good reason. So when we think back on the things that we have promised our spouse on our wedding day, Remember those things. Remember that moment. Guys, you remember that? I mean, hopefully, you had this this amazing moment where your beautiful bride is just walking down the aisle. And, and, you know, if you're like me, you're trying to think, you know, all the things that you've prepared to say, and, and you're nervous and all of those things. And in that moment where they're standing before you, you confess your love for them and you say all of these wonderful things. Right? You're committed to each other on that day. Maybe we need to, some of us need to go back and get those vows out that we had hopefully saved. Or maybe you need to write some new ones and and say, look, this is, I'm still here. I'm still committed to this. Some of you have been married long enough that the whole, like, for better or for worse thing, you're getting now. Right? I say, like, it, it took us about two or three years before prayer became a priority because for the first couple of years, like, we coasted people were like, man, marriage is going to be so hard. It's going to be so difficult. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm 22 years old and I feel like an expert. That's what I was thinking. Like my wife seems happy. I'm happy. Like everything's good. We can, you know, I moved out of my parents' house into our apartment and I was there for four days as a single man. And then I was, and then I welcomed my young wife and we're there and uh, we felt the, and she did the exact same. We felt a freedom that was incomprehensible. Right. Uh, I remember one time it was like midnight and we were like, where do you want to go? Walmart. Because where else are you going to go? It's Mechanicsville, you know. And so at midnight, we were, it was a Friday night. What are we going to do? Like <laughs> we weren't old enough to go to the bars that we wouldn't have anyways. We were, you know, 20 years old. So we we're like, let's just go to Walmart and enjoy ourselves. And we did. That was the kind of freedom that we have. <laughs> but then life sets in, Right. You start having a hard time paying the bills and like you don't want to go to Walmart. Right? I mean, it's, I know it's cheap, but it still costs. Marriage gets difficult. Or you or you you start to experience pain. I remember when we started experiencing real ministerial pain. That put a stress on our life. I remember when my health went down so quickly that I thought I was going to die. And that put a tremendous stress on our life. I remember when Kelsey lost, we lost our baby and and her hemorrhaging for months and months and months and, and just thinking like this is it and this is the worst thing that we could ever go through and just remembering that pain and that hurt and realizing honeymoon, the honeymoon phase is not going to sustain us. Marriage is a weapon that in the hands of Christians can unite you and destroy the enemy in your life. Marriage can help you destroy your sin. Your wife can be there to edify you. Husbands, you should be there to lead your wife. Let me maybe pour on a little bit of conviction because we're all sitting here. But men, if you're not earnestly praying over your wives. Start today. And, and wives, if, if you're sitting there and you know that your husband's not, he's not praying over you, then take that as a challenge. Like, hey, I need you to pray over me. The enemy knows so well the destructive nature of a healthy Christian marriage. He knows so well. And he has done everything that he can to attack the nuclear family, especially in this country in this day and age. We have a government that awards women to stay outside of marriage. That's a corrupt society. And so we see... Jesus, in this time, as he's discussing, knowing the importance of marriage, knowing the value in marriage, and these disciples who are coming at him saying, What's the way out? Well, in Matthew's account of this, in Matthew chapter 19, It adds a little bit more information for us. He says this to them in verse 8. Because of your hardness of hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And and to say to you, uh, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So in Matthew's account, we see what's called as the accepting clause. That the permissible grounds of divorce. For most churches, not all, but a lot of churches will allow divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality. So Paul speaks on the desertion, desertion apart uh, more specifically, that if someone, if your spouse leaves you and just says like, I'm done, then you're allowed to say to that spouse, you are, I consider you an unbeliever and because you have abandoned me, that's fair grounds for divorce. So what do we believe at Mosaic? That's something else we, I want you guys to to know and and hear clearly by the backing of Scripture here. Number one, obviously, the obvious one is that we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Undeniably, like unapologetically, it doesn't doesn't make me feel weird to say it. It doesn't, it's just that this is the biblical definition, that this wasn't uh, a statement that was nearly as controversial as it may be today. Uh, But in the Scripture, we see that it is in the context of a man and a woman that God's intention in creating marriage between a man and a woman is not to restrict liberty, but rather it is the peak of the relational enjoyment and development that God knows that the peak of your enjoyment and relationship will be between the one who you will call spouse, the one that you will call wife. For you ladies, the ones that you will call husband. Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time talking about divorce. Instead, he is pointing to the bound that is found in marriage and how no man can separate it. So what Jesus is saying is like, you guys are wanting to talk about divorce. I'm wanting to talk about how beautiful and wonderful and productive marriage is. And not just that, that how spiritual it is, that even if you try to come and separate it, you can't. You could physically remove a husband and a wife from one another, but they are married and they are one. So do you understand that the Pharisees are coming from the perspective of how do how do we tell someone to get out of this? Or how do we tell someone how do we help someone to get out of this? And what Jesus is saying is no one gets out of it. Right? No one gets out of it. And that isn't to feel like a threat. That should that should be to your enjoyment. You, you aren't stuck with your spouse forever hopefully it's it's not that feeling, and if it is, then you know I say introduce prayer <laughs> right like lord teach me uh, that teach me to love this woman more <laughs> right teach me to want to be with her when I went through a weird phase when we had Ezekiel of like I just having a having a wife was awesome, but bringing a kid in i don't know something it was a weird adjustment that I had to get to it was just a little bit more noisy I didn't really like it I didn't feel like I was uh Prepared in and of myself like marriage was one thing uh, But an infant who can't speak or communicate was a whole other level and uh, I really distanced myself from Kelsey and Ezekiel for a while uh, sort of some, Without really realizing it. it was kind of finding myself You know accepting more invites with you know the guys to hang out with and that sort of thing just found myself more not at home than at home and I realized that was a huge problem <laughs> And so I began to pray like, Lord, you need to search my heart and why am I not enjoying time with my wife? That was a real issue and I wrestled with this for months and months and it just became a matter of prayer. And and so we should have matters of prayer when it comes to our marriage. If your marriage is perfect, please seek the Lord today and you will find its imperfections. That is something that is to be stewarded and stewarded well. Secondly, what we believe is that we do believe that God hates divorce. It's plain in Scripture that His plan from the beginning is that every marriage would be permanent. That to divorce your spouse without a biblical cause and remarry is to commit the sin of adultery. We do believe, however, that divorce is biblically permissible as I've mentioned, through sexual immorality, desertion by an unbeliever, or if the divorce was pre-conversion. So we understand. We also understand that every moment that you would ever sit down with someone in marriage counseling, again, is very unique. Every situation is very unique uh, to you and to what God has given you in a spouse. And lastly, divorce is never commanded or desired by God. Never once in Scripture does God become enthusiastic about someone divorcing from their covenant that they have went into with their spouse. Marriage is, a, is sacred because it represents the divine and spiritual union between Christ and his church. i like to give an example of, of sort of this if you want to, as I get ready to close. Hosea chapter 3. And if you've been listening and you're not married, this this is where everything's going to come together here. Because this is this is important for us to, to get and un- understand. I remember reading Hosea. There's only a couple of books that I can remember, distinctively re- remember reading for the first time. And Hosea was definitely one of those books. Where I read through it and Every chapter I would read, and I would read it again and think like, this is a very peculiar text. It begins very strangely. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, and it says, And when the Lord spoke through Hosea, and the Lord said to him, Go and take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so he went and took Gomer, this is a, if, if you haven't read this in a while, like this is a wild text, right? This is a, a God, the same God that we serve, by the way, who says to Hosea, he says, listen, you're going to find a wife and I'm, and you're going to find the worst of the women. The one who has a reputation, the one who, uh, who has been with everyone, <laughs> Literally, the whore of the town, Hosea, you go and take her. And if, if, maybe if it's been a while since you've read this text, because I'm looking on some of your faces and like, I didn't make this up. This is, check your text. Check your translation. Like there are translations that use far more like <laughs> language popping out at you than even that I've got here. But God tells him to take a wife that is not committed I cannot speak from the place of, of the pain that one would feel to be betrayed by their spouse. Praise God, I, I can't speak from that place. But I've certainly sat down with men and women enough to see the pain. And I've sat down enough to see the pain that it, it, how it affects children. And I know that some of you have walked through that kind of pain, whether, it, whether you have in your own marriage or whether you remember it from when you were a little kid. And you can still remember the pain of divorce. And when we walk into a marriage, I hope that you did, and I'm sure that you did, have the highest hopes of what your marriage would look like. I'm sure that you did. I mean, I I remember all the the dreams and the things and and the places that Kelsey and I wanted to go and we've gotten to do some of those things and things have been good and and not always good and, and great and not always great and it's just been up and down like all of you have experienced in your own lives. But before marriage, you look at that person and you say, I will be committed to you through everything. And that, that person will look back to you and and with a smile on her face, she will, you know, maybe it was over a candlelit dinner and you're holding hands and it's beautiful and you've got everything and she says back to you, I will be committed to you through everything. And that's wonderful. But those are words, right? And here Hosea is being told by God, you're going to go and you're going to be committed to her who has no commitment to you. Look, if I were going through marriage counseling, I would say to Jose and Gomer, like, this is not, this isn't going to be good. (laughs) Like, this is is all the red flags. This marriage is not going to be good. I will not do the ceremony. I've certainly turned down more ceremonies than I have accepted. Because I have a strict, like, strict level of concern when it comes to who I'm going to stand up and bring together in marriage. But instead, God says, take this woman who is not committed and marry her. I want to I make sure I'm, I'm going the right route here. So just bear with me. When we are, when we find ourselves before the Lord we see our inadequacies, or we should at least. The Pharisees purposefully avoided their inadequacies. Every time they'd go to Jesus and he would reveal their wickedness or their hardened of hearts, they would only make them more hardened. But when we look to the Lord, he reveals to us his commitment to us. But then here in Hosea chapter 3, we see that Hosea has now taken a wife who has not been committed and the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechet of barley And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I also be to you. This is God revealing to us how he views us of of, that. There is this miscommitment that he says to Hosea, look, she has done everything wrong. She has not been committed to you. She has not been faithful to you. She has been dirty, and she has been with, she's with another man right this second. And here, Gomer was up on the stand in the community to be sold off to another man, his wife. And what does God say to do? He says, buy her. Purchase her. Despite her imperfections, despite her, her uh, shortcomings, despite her infidelity and her wickedness, despite the part that she plays in this community, purchase her. I say that to say that there is certainly no perfect marriage. But there is no perfect person either. And when we look at the Lord, I think oftentimes the world is so apprehensive to marriage because it fears commitment. And we are apprehensive to marriage because we also know our, our actions and we know, that we know who we are as a human being, that we are sinful in nature. We don't want to drag someone. I, I have a buddy who re, they've refused to have children their entire lives because he's just so afraid that one of his kids will turn out to be him. Right? And so we're afraid of, of what this will turn into and what will develop. And I would say the same is true in our relationship with the Lord, that so often we, we are so afraid to approach the Lord because of what he might expose of our own hearts. Why is it such a wrestle to pray over your wife, husband? Why is it such a wrestle to submit to your husbands? Why is it such a wrestle? Because is it because it's just we're lazy or is it because it's actual spiritual warfare that's taking place? The Pharisees come and they try to tempt Jesus. Mark mentions that four times Jesus is tested, first by Satan and then the next three times by the Pharisees. Your marriage is important, but the enemy is going to come, and he's going to do everything he can to divide. Men, he is going to do everything he can to distract you, to take your eyes and put them off of your wife. This is why Solomon says, Lord, give me dove, dove's eyes. This is what I pray over, for, for me personally all the time. Lord, give me dove's eyes for my wife, that I would see no one else but her, that I would be focused on her. Lord, you have to protect my heart. The reason why I mention Hosea, though, is because I want you to know that, yes, marriage is difficult and imperfect and work, but it is a beautiful, beautiful gift from the Lord. But our relationship with the Lord and the fact that Jesus calls us his bride, this story is to show us the absolute devastation that we are to him and the value that we would bring to be called his wife or his bride and how we are not worthy. Just like Gomer on on a stand in front of all the people in the town, not worthy. She's just going to the highest bidder. And there Hosea stands before all of them and says, I will pay that price. 15 shekels of silver, I'll give it for her. And I, I'm sure that people were laughing, mocking him. Oh, for your wife? She's been with everyone. I want to say to you today that there is nothing that you have done to out the grace of God. For those marriages that that have ended or are over, sometimes that is just the the product of the fraction of this world. But when it comes to the Lord, he says, though you have made countless mistakes and error, he is still for you, that he has bought you. Let me end with this text in Romans 8 verse 1. in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What he is saying is that he has called us from our sin to walk with him and that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. I say to you, if marriage has been very difficult for you and you're sitting in here with your spouse, then... Today, let today be the day. If you had lunch plans with maybe others, maybe cancel them. Take action. There, no, there isn't a perfect marriage, but there is a perfect groom who has laid down the perfect price for his imperfect bride. And that is you and I today. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.